Welcome, dear listener, to Season 4, Episode 11 of Weekend at Crombies. This month, we shall have to beware of one false move. Welcome to episode 47 of Weekend at Crombies. I'm Hugh, and I just need to feed these chickens before it gets too hot. And I'm Dr. James Evans Esquire. He don't know no better. He watches television. Thank you, James. But we did not watch television. We watched a mm-hmm. movie, probably streamed mm. at some television service. Uh, this is One False Move. Uh, yeah. A uh, crime thriller made in 1992, and I've never heard of it. It's, um, it, it either will come to its, its release, but yeah, it was, it was out of the blue for me, which is a different movie. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I watched out of the blue. Uh, which... <laughs> <laughs> we both watched, I hope, One False Move, although I will say the title is so generic, we could quite easily watch two different movies called One False Move. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty generic, isn't it? Just I mean, find out. I'll, I'll say what I learned in the first uh, scene. You do the next scene. We'll carry on, and maybe. It's a <laughs> <laughs> no, I think. So I got two right. dolphin <laughs> fishermen. <laughs> <laughs> and hijinks occur when they discover pirate treasure. And I read. Uh, I read. I watched a film about uh, a ballerina who falls what off a beach. <laughs> No, we watched we watched a uh, what well, a neo noir. Should we Ooh, call, should call it that's that? That's a good way of calling it. Yes, neo noir. Neo noir. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> right. As I, like the, the, I like the neo noir trend of the uh, the nineties. But yeah, so early nineties was was a, a, a high watermark for neo noir, I guess, really. Um, but we'll now, come on. Now, now you said it three times. We'll explain what it is. Um, but let's yeah. do it now. I'll say late, later in the podcast. Right. But we can't we can't rely on our audience getting that far. What is neo noir, James? Oh God! Don't ask me. Um, so <laughs> neo, well, you, the, way, the way you enunciated neo noir there. You so, <laughs> yeah. So neo neo noir neo noir neo noir. So I've lost. It's lost all meaning now, doesn't it? It's like what's <laughs> what's your name? Phil neo noir. Hi, Mister neo noir. How are you? He's, he's French Caribbean. Um, I feel I need to point out that both of us are drinking decaffeinated tea here and nothing stronger. <laughs> we haven't even started the Blooming podcast yet. Right. So neo-noir. If you think about if you think about some of the core tropes of the noir genre from the 30s and 40s, you are you, you private eye kind of thing. Yeah, private eye kind of thing. But you also have um, a, a, a structure of a film which is built around character development. We have um, usually a kind of stylized or hyper stylized um kind of event or plot structure that brings together different tropes and characters over a period of time um usually yeah the femme fatale for example would be one of those archetypes within that particular context the psychopath might be another one um in 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 those kind of broader film tropes the neo-noir brings that to a more modern sensibility usually by replacing um some of the kind of traditional tropes with things like um, racial politics, gender politics, or um, replacing um, certain kind of geographic tropes as well. So I often find neo-noir set in southern states of America as a kind of gothic 
southern gothic kind of trope as well which goes well with the neo-noir so that it's a kind of homage um to those earlier films but updated both geographically and with some more kind of modern political themes in that as well is that fair i think that's fair, it is yeah it? i think that's very good yeah and um again we come to the recommendations but other types would be things like the hot spot or yeah. um, uh was the uh was the one with the- um uh, what's one with, um... There's one with Kathleen Turner as well, which I can't remember what the title is. Um, this is good, isn't it? This is good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What's one with Bill Pullman? Um, the Last Seduction. The Last Seduction, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, with I'm Linda Fiorentina. That's a good example yes, of the Neo Noir yeah. as well. Um, I, I, I would add um, The Devil in a Blue Dress is another one. Yeah, um, Denzel Washington. With Denzel Washington uh, as an example. Actually, also directed by Carl Franklin, who directed One False Move. Ah, okay. So there we are. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Okay, so um, so we've set. So what we, as as you said, it begins um, in Los Angeles. Uh, almost right out of the bat, we have. Uh, mm. again, a, a, we start off with a, a fairly normal house where there's a small birthday celebration going with a, a quartet of people. They um, the adults are kind of dancing around, uh, filming themselves in a. In a it's like a, a birthday a, party of some kind, isn't it? Well, there's a, there's a cake and dancing. There's so, a cake, and, and there's the the most enormous camcorder because it's, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> it's the, the early nineties. Yeah. Um, and it's uh and yeah from then it's um what happens there so they and then they meet knock on the door there's a, a girl called fantasia arrives um who they know but then she's quickly followed by her her criminal boyfriend ray played by billy bob thornton and um and ray's friend pluto who yeah. is uh played by with michael beach um who's again was quite well known in the films of that era i don't think yeah. too much from them but anyway so they uh, proceed to sort of tie up and, and imprison everybody and also to, to slap them around quite brutally it gets it gets from naught to 60 quite quickly um until they yeah. give up it, the whereabouts of a, a drug dealer in the area yeah it's, it's quite it's quite a uh it, it sets the scene quite nicely because you've got fantasia who's clearly friendly with this group of people yeah and her partner ray who none of them obviously none of them like because there's a there's a point in that scene where they say is ray with you and she goes no it's not with me today so that's good that is that's good then obviously he turns up um so uh, they're they're all in trouble <laughs> from <laughs> yes. that moment forward yes and indeed they, they um yeah they they get uh, slapped around and, and tortured essentially until they've given up the whereabouts of uh, another local drug dealer um that wait the, the same process repeats um Pluto is left guarding all the uh, the trust up people, but uh, Ray and Fantasia go over to the second um, drug dealer and imprison him and his girlfriend, and again torture them until they give up the whereabouts of all the the cocaine and money that's hidden behind the the wall paneling. Um, and as uh, as this is happening, um, in, in short order, Ray I think suffocates and he pops a bag over the head until they die of suffocation, and yeah. then um, Pluto, upon getting word that they've received what they want. Um, rather graphically uh, reveals a knife puts a pillowcase over each one of their heads and stabs all these people to death yeah so it's, uh, so it's, it's quite graphically violent it, as well at this it, point. It, it doesn't mess it, around yeah. yeah it it doesn't mess around for the opening 10 minutes of a film it's it's quite heavy going what's also evident at this point as well is that um at the drug dealer's house there is a child um who ray is, is wants to find um obviously to leave no witnesses i guess um Fantasia does find the child, but obviously doesn't tell Ray that she has found him, and it's the lone survivor yeah. of the uh, the massacres of these two two households. So six people have have um, had their comeuppance within yeah. about ten minutes. Uh, yes, and so um, we we have a very quick shot to uh, Bill Paxton, who's playing um, 
local police sheriff uh, Dale, Dale Hur- Hurricane Dixon. Yes, Hurricane. He's, he's known. He's known as Hurricane um, to everybody. He basically, I think, he just wakes his daughter up from having a nightmare and then turns the light off. So it's 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 an odd one, but I think they did that because, and we'll come to how the the, the film structured. They wanted to establish this character very early on, and there was no useful way to do it. So he yeah. just he just appears. Um, but then we zi- so this is in Arkansas, which is completely different from where we're in LA. Um, but we zip back to. Uh, the murder scene and uh, we also learned that Ray is you know not the most careful of murderers because as he was celebrating with all the cocaine he'd stolen I think he'd left his driver's license on the table or something he was yeah um so <laughs> murder solved pretty, pretty yeah. much uh so the the two detectives um who's going to Dud and McFeely um yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dud Cole and McFeely just McFeely. Um, they. <laughs> I mean, it's not as it's not as catchy as Madonna, is it? No. McFeely. They quickly identify both Ray and Pluto. They don't know about Fantasia, but they know um, they know there's um, there's a woman with mm. them, and, and they know that they're probably on the run <clears throat> because they're going back to um, to Star City in Arkansas. I think actually, the way they do this is, is <laughs> they they've got the the videotape which was left running throughout the murders, and at the very start before the murders started happening, someone had said to Fantasia something like. Are you going? I thought you were going to Star City. She goes, "Oh, I'm going there a few days' time." Yeah. Um, but the way well, they, they actually say, that, "I think I thought you were going back to Star City." That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the way they do this is it's just these enormous computers, and they're like twiddling with knobs, it's like, yeah. like isolate that sound. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's the most the clunky way of of just going through videotape. But maybe mm. that's what they do in those days. It's like that maybe primitive it is, time. Yeah. yeah. Can they just download an app and sort it out from there? <laughs> I don't think they can, Hugh. Oh, I don't uh, think they can. If the they did things. in this film, it would take you. It would, t- it would certainly have taken me out of the the mission scene. It would. I mean, you'd be wondering why they wouldn't actually go into, into Silicon Valley if they could predict <laughs> yeah. that kind of <laughs> level of advanced energy. So, um, what we've got here then is the two detectives um, with a pretty good guess of where they're heading. So they uh, they contact um, Hurricane, who comes across as an amiable, if slightly dim-witted. Um, yeah, a bit of a sheriff. country bumpkin, but quite a but, country. Yeah. Yeah, but but someone who obviously loves their job and um, is well respected within the town. Yeah, but he's also very keen to help the, the LA detectives. Like very he's, keen. He's sort of he's babbling. He's like, oh, we don't normally get many murders around here. Except some, <laughs> sometimes the coloured folks stab each other. And all the detectives <laughs> yeah. in LA are like looking at you thinking, what on earth is he saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. he's not had to draw his gun for six years. Um, but they so they think they're going there. So the detectives basically go to Star City in Arkansas to stake out, again, Ray's uncle, where he's likely to turn up and basically wait for the murderers to arrive. And again, for quite a lot of the movie, we get the the, the journey of the killers from L.A. to Arkansas yeah. as as the detectives are waiting for them. So yeah. um, again, we come into the meeting of, of Dud and McFeely with, uh, with Hurricane. He, again... Um, it's hard to say again. He's called Hurricane because he doesn't stop. Like I say, he treats him yeah. to a nice big breakfast, but he's he's gone before they've even had a chance to tuck into it. Yeah, it's a nice um, scene because he gives he gives the um the cashier he gives the cashier ten pounds. He says keeps the change, but she said yeah I'll keep the change. It's tw- it's twelve dollars. Yeah, he gives <laughs> a ten dollars actually rather than uh, ten. Yeah, he doesn't ten, give pounds. ten pounds yeah. would be very weird. It would be weird, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, there's also again there's there's an there's an undertone because he's again a, a, a kind of a country boy sheriff. He um. The, the racial undertone is, is fairly front and centre. Like I say, he's already yeah. mentioned uh, we're, we're going to get coloured people stabbing each other up here. Yeah. Um, but he's, again, we say Dale is white and McFeely is black. And he's 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 talking to Dud um, much more than when McFeely talks, mm. he generally gets talked over. Mm. Um, so there's there's that in it as well. Um, well is, is there anything else in that? There's, there's just, 
it's in the body language as much it's as it's in the body language it's in it's in it's in the fabric of the uh, arkansas town isn't it that's what it is it's it's and you see it in the um you see it in the kind of the 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 background scenes you've got poor old black uh, men um who are kind of you know by the sidelines watching things that go along and, and all this kind of stuff as well but there aren't many black characters in the town themselves if that yeah. makes sense there was one actually early scene which makes more sense when you get to when you get further into the thing when um ray sees a young a young black child um just being escorted by mm. an adult and he stares at them a lot and until you work out who this child is which we'll come to yeah um i just thought does he just really not like black people that yeah. much he can't even stand them being around but that's why that's it's quite that... interesting though isn't it because you, you you're not sure are you because of the because yeah, yeah. of the tone because you don't you'd already let a few hints let mm. me think is that what he is is he just this massive racist he's, he's certainly no uh choir boy um but I thought that that's very extreme that he's just mm. staring and staring that said, um, Hurricane does tend to, to warm to the to detectives after, again, they initially um, sort of blundered and tried to interview Ray's uncle, who's basically so demented they can't get any sense from him. Yeah, uh, so that's another interesting one, isn't it? Because um, it's it's Fantasia who we hear in the in the video saying, yeah, I'm going back to Star City. Yeah. But Ray also has an uncle in Star City. And Star City seems to be a tiny town yeah. of about, you know, 10 people. And yet two <laughs> two of the three um, criminals are from Star City. Well, that would make sense if that's where they met. Um... Well, I suppose, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> no, so then... So they they kind of but after that they they all kind of have a, a barbecue and a drinks and went into the evening and you mentioned again that's the the um, you know the the sort of the casual racism is how they talk in that part of Arkansas. Oh. Ray's wife seems much more switched on than he is because yeah. as he's just casually flinging around the n word she's kicking him under the table and yeah. um, and later has to apologise to the detective uh, Dud um, for the for the fact that uh, yeah Ray was speaking about he didn't mean any harm by it, whatever he was also but also she's quite astute um, basically town detectives that Ray idolised is these two LA detectives yeah. and he's he'll do basically she she knows he would go above and beyond yeah. to prove himself to them to the point to put himself in real danger yeah. and he's got and, a he's got a family he's got a child he's got a wife um you know this is where she says you know he watches television basically yeah uh, so yeah just <laughs> almost humor him but please keep him safe almost yeah, well, yeah, her lines were, he watches television, I read non-fiction. So it's like yeah, she has exactly. a much clearer eye about the, yeah. Yeah, the danger. Yeah. So she's basically telling the detectives, can you put the brakes on? Because and at that point, actually, um, Dud, who'd gone for kind of a second bottle of Southern Comfort, then puts it down and tells them they've got to go to bed and it's time to, yeah. to turn in. Um, so it's going to stop that. So um, that was the, the note of realism in there. But um, it, it continues from that. And meanwhile, our, our intrepid trio of murderers are, are making their way across <laughs> the country. that's quite the right word but <laughs> <laughs> well they are an intrepid they are three of them and they're murderers yes, I suppose they are aren't they <laughs> um, so they uh again but they uh they've, they've not always well they'd, they'd argue about what to do but basically the money they've stolen won't last forever and they want to sell the coke rather than snort it all up um pluto is especially he's quite stoic he doesn't want to kind of party in the way that ray and um, fantasia do they want to he wants to kind of cash in and move on well, Pluto, Pluto, he seems to be a slightly more, I mean, he's, he's more psychopathic in some regards, but he's also more sensible. Um, he, he seems to have a plan or at least an idea of what to do, whereas Ray and Ray in particular is just he's a he's a live wire. 
Yeah. Well, they did say, you know, um, Pluto has an IQ by virtue of putting him in glasses. Yeah, <laughs> so I thought <laughs> that as well. He's got to be yeah, smart. He's cleaning his glasses in many scenes with a cloth. So, yeah, Oof, he's had Hannibal Lecter levels of intelligence. <laughs> Um, but again, they, they, so there's an encounter where they uh, they're buying groceries um, in, a, in a gas station. They see a state trooper, um, which is they, they pass off. But then um, I think Ray's twitchiness alerts the state trooper, who then follows them to kind of run their plates and and, and basically ask them to get out of their car. Bad move. Bad move because well, he, he's got his eye on both Pluto and Ray, but he doesn't work out that Fantasia is also dangerous because she's the one that shoots him in the end, um, which is first for her as well. So. Um, they they have to go off and change cars again. So they now murder the state trooper, and they're further on the run as they they hole up with a, a uh, I think it's a New Orleans now, a friend of Pluto's, um, in order to sell the coke to get more travelling money. Meanwhile, Fantasia's been sent on ahead to Star City, um, partly so she can we now realise she's got a motivation which we'll come to now, but partly because it will break up the description of uh, two uh, of two men yeah. and a woman travelling together. Um, and so in uh, in New Orleans, the uh, the sale does not go too well because uh, Pluto's contact is firstly a day late and then he returns up and doesn't have any money. So basically Pluto and Ray kill a lot of them again. Yeah. Um, and, it's quite and antagonistic, this, this drug dealer, though, because he's basically saying, I've not got any money. And to be honest, you're hot. So you, you'll, you'll get you'll 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 take what I'll give you in terms of the money. Yeah, um, and, it, and well, like, I, I'm going to say, in fairness, the drug dealer, he has a full justification not to be hospitable because he's about to be killed. Yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's he's not good house guests. No, they, no, they're not. <laughs> um, but in fact, things are now getting so out of control that they don't even kind of stop to ransack the place. They they just kill and move on. Yeah, because because like Ray is saying, why don't we why don't we look for money? And Pluto's like, no, we got to go, we got to go, we got to split up. And they then realise that Fantasia has the balance of their their goods, so they need to link up with her again before they can divide up and go their separate ways. Um, Fantasia. Uh, what is Fantasia's real name? It's Lila Walker. Lila Walker. Yeah, and uh, we we um, we know it's Lila Walker because um, Hurricane knows her. Shall yeah. we say? Yeah, he recognized. Well, he recognized in the biblical uh, term. Indeed. What he first he first <laughs> he first tells the story that he he caught her as a, a young shoplifter. Yeah. And he kind of he could see that she was a good kid, so he let her go, gave her another chance. And the two detectives were immediately going, what do you mean? By and he's yeah. like, how dare you? I have a wife and child. <laughs> yeah. um, and the immediately like, making him guilty. <laughs> yes, which indeed he was. Yes. Um, so Lila Walker, actually, yeah, she, she had a child from Michigan. We, um, we get all the backstories that she was 17. He, he seduced her, we assume. Um, so he took advantage of her. Uh, she had a baby, um, which... I don't know if he, he knew about or was what we must have been aware of because he was this was the child he was staring at in the street. Um, yeah. So I think he's aware of the child, probably has his suspicions that it is his, yeah. but has never been confirmed and yeah. nobody else knows. Yeah, because Lila basically left town um, very, about a year or so after having the baby, mm-hmm. you know, leaving the, in, in the child in charge of him, in charge, <laughs> in the care of her mother, you know, in charge. Yeah. He was left in charge. Yeah. Um, but again, he seems to have a good home. Again, his, uh, his granny's very nice to him and his yeah. uncle's uh, his uncle very yeah. pleasant. So he's, he's, he seems to be doing all right. Um, but Lila wants to come back and see him. Obviously, she can't come back to the house. So an entire rendezvous was arranged where... Um, they have to find a house in the outskirts of town. Her brother will bring um, her son to meet him at like four in the morning. Now, this is where the film lets down is. I don't know what their experience of toddlers at four in the morning are, but they're not terribly good. <laughs> <No, they're not, laughs> like, are they? Yeah, I mean, all throughout this toddler is quite well behaved. He is. He's, a, he's an angel. Mind you, I tell you what, actually, four in the morning toddlers can sometimes be their most active. So, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe he's enjoying it. Yeah. Um, but so so that happens. That happens. But um 
and then the the detectives and and Hurricane then kind of go and interview this family one more time, and yeah. um, the uncle is kind of stonewalling, saying, "I don't know where Lila is. I wouldn't tell you if I did." And this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but then they talk to young Byron, who's the son, and it's like, "Oh, young Byron, uh, have you have you seen a lady recently? No. Have you gone out to see anyone? No. In the middle of the night? No. Did your uncle tell you to say that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so young Byron accidentally spills the beans. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> Uh, well, he wasn't briefed for that answer. That's no, it. He wasn't, was he? That was Paul Walker's uncle's part. So they pop young Byron in the police car and cruise around until Byron can identify which dirt track he headed down. Yeah, which is and quite the... quite good stuff from Byron, given that it would have been pitch black four o'clock in the morning, and he's yeah. four. Well, he gets it wrong. So well, he does get it wrong, doesn't he? <laughs> so, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm going to give it a half mark. Yeah. <laughs> um, Meanwhile, um, this this has happened the next morning. Over the previous night, um, uh, Dixon Hurricane has been staking out this this house, mm. uh, and he's even um, he's even actually he's uh, he's overheard because he's previously opened his heart to Bud, saying, you know, oh gee, this when when we cook this case together, do you think I could be an A detective like you yeah. if you could put in a good word for me and this kind of stuff? Uh, the detectives talk amongst each other, saying, can you imagine this clown in LA? Yeah. <laughs> and he he's, obviously hears them, doesn't he? It's it's very soap opera. He's buying a candy bar behind the screen. Yeah. He hears them laughing, and his little heart breaks. <laughs> Um, as he does so, so then he goes off to stake the house by himself, saying, "I don't need a, 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 anyone else to sit in a car and watch a house. I can mm. do it myself." Mm. So he, he sees Fantasia by herself and then goes to confront her. Whereupon the whole story comes out um, that again she did, uh, again at, at best take advantage of her um, when she yeah. was when she was seventeen, had yeah. it, and she said the child is his and all this kind of stuff. And there's a, there's, she's, got, she's got quite a good line here. I won't I won't go into the details because there's a swear word in it. But um, and it's where the kind of racial tensions come up again as well. She says, "You figured since I so her her dad is white as yes. well, which we we realise." And and she says to a Hurricane, "You figured since I kind of look white, you could beat me. What the hell? Because I was kind of black, you could dump me. What the hell?" Yeah. And that just tells you a little bit about the racial <laughs> dynamics as well, which is quite interesting. Yeah, that does come up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so a, a sort of deal is made whereby um, Dixon says, you know, if she brings in Ray and, and Pluto, she can go free. I don't think he's ever actually agreed to that, but um, it's 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 yeah. dangled sufficiently that she it can is, do it. Yeah. Uh, and so again, so Ray and Pluto do pull up, um, and Lila invites them in to to the house, uh, whereupon they again they um, Dixon leaps out with a gun on them, um, but being again slightly <laughs> hapless, uh, <laughs> yeah. he does it too quickly, doesn't he? Well, he, he, did, he doesn't take he control doesn't of the situation. It. He yeah. doesn't plan it, yeah. Or call him backup, which is what you probably mm. would do if you had two dangerous killers come into the house. Yeah, yeah. So he tries to he tries to cowboy it all by himself. Um, again, Pluto stabs him. He then shoots Pluto. There's then a shootout between Dixon and Ray, where um, Ray is killed. Fantasia is caught in the crossfire and killed. Uh, and Dixon is shot a couple of times as well. Um, yeah. So a a wounded we don't know how badly dixon manages to crawl over to the, his radio call-in backup whereby the police the police detectives and a deputy arrive um see everything that dixon's managed to do uh, and byron of course who's still in the car first he asks where's the lady and, and dixon yeah. excludes ever goes oh she's over there and then <laughs> remembers in time that she's over there with a bullet <laughs> in her head so calls him yeah. back uh, and that that is how it is. dixon is lying on the ground bleeding out um as yeah. as the little boy is kneeling by him yeah and he's er he's he, he's um i like the the fight is one of the fun lines he says because he's got keys doesn't he and he, he says what do you do with those keys and he says oh, i lock people up and it's quite it's quite fun because he hasn't done any of that <laughs> he's not locked <laughs> anyone up but it's he's obviously trying to create that rapport with the child oh, and the child 
because obviously my view of the ending is that he's you can read it in a number of ways we'll come on to that we'll come on to what yeah. i think the ending means but yeah but, but that is how the film ends mm. and and there but thereby ends our synopsis mm. uh, so very good you sorry so, thank you very much so per- uh, perfectly described as usual okay so take a break for some eggs and hominy grits and uh, <laughs> uh or some hot buttered toast we uh you pick your That's poison <laughs> and we'll talk back uh the themes of this and why james chose it mm. Welcome back, dear listener, as we look into the uh, the themes of One False Move. But before we do that, uh, may I ask, James, why did you pick One False Move? Yeah, um, so I, um, a number of reasons, actually. Um, I've, I'd seen One False Move before, <coughs> um, a long time ago, um, on, uh, got it out from the local rental shop, Um <laughs> In, I don't know, I presume it would be the mid-90s, I guess, or my mum would have got it out as one of those, you know, Friday evening de- uh, films that we used to watch. Um, you watched this and, with your family? <laughs> yeah, well, honestly, my mum and dad were brilliant when it come, came to films. They'd just, they'd just pick anything. I think they just like the... the, the I, I know that you said it was quite generic, but I think they quite like the title of One False Move. I think that's the kind of... M- m- my mum and dad would have been into a film that would have been called One False Move. It's that... It's that kind of like, oh, you know, the thriller, um, bit cheap and cheerful, maybe. You know, I think it probably took them by surprise a bit. I don't know, but um, yeah, they they would have they would have like this would this would have been um, like a light to a moth. I think um, is that right? Is that even a phrase? Yeah, that's a moth to a flame. Okay, well there we are. <laughs> Lights are not attracted to moths. You don't get light bulbs chasing after a lone moth. This is like some kind of cosmic like revelation. <laughs> like the light from the sun is just attracted that's why the light gets here it's because it's just attracted there's to no moths, moths. <laughs> that's why space is so dark because there's no moths out there gosh science is fun yeah. i see all the light is on earth because of the moths you're gonna save the moths like the bees isn't it if the moths <laughs> yeah. and the bees go we're done for light to moth oh god um so <coughs> they would like this so i remember watching this um i wasn't i wasn't too young i guess but certainly um younger than 18 which is what the certificate is um, I remember quite enjoying it actually. I, I, I didn't. I have to admit to not remembering too much about the film um, when when I rewatched it. But um, I did recall the the violence at the start uh, as being quite extreme, and I, I recalled as a consequence of that the um, I quite like the bifurcated plotline of the, the the kind of the the two ends of the spectrum where you have the criminals working their way towards a destination and the cops at the destination it felt inevitable I, I was attracted to that um concept i think and I, I i still am quite attracted to that concept okay. um so uh, it's it's um a film that i had seen before i'd quite enjoyed from when i was younger um it, it fits into the weekend at crombie's canon i think quite nicely on the basis that it, i mean it's just fallen off the 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 edge of the world really no one's heard of this film and i'm slightly yeah. surprised because um I mean, although, you know, Bill Paxton and Billy Bob Thornton are not, you know, they're not major Hollywood stars, or, um, but they, they've certainly, you know, they're certainly well known. And I think in the early 90s, maybe not Billy Bob Thornton, but certainly Bill Paxton would have had a bit of cachet to him. Yeah, he um, good stuff then. Yeah, he was. Yeah. And um, this was Billy Bob Thornton's first screenwriting um, credit as well. Obviously went on to win the Oscar for um, the screenplay for Swing Blade um, a few years later. And and also um, 
they were both in a simple plan together, the Sam Raimi film about um, okay. finding the money. So, you know, it's, it's quite a lot going for it, I think, uh, in, in that context. It was actually, as, a, as a box office, it was a failure, wasn't it? Well, it, well, it was, but it, it's a slightly <laughs> odd. It's an odd. This is this is an odd um, film in terms of box office, because often you'll, you'll see a film that doesn't make any money at the box office. Yeah, that's a failure. This film was um, marketed as a straight to video film. In the early 90s it wasn't until roger ebert and gene siskel reviewed the film and gene siskel gave it his favorite film of 1992 and roger ebert gave it four stars two thumbs up effectively that the distributors decided to release it the cinema in a very short very short run it was never released in the uk in the cinema Uh, it was only ever released on video in the uk um, which is why I think it probably has got lost because it doesn't have that cinematic heritage, uh, even though I think it looks quite sim- cinematic and it follows that kind of early 90s, as we've described, neo-noir type flavour. Um, it certainly is cinematic, but it, 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 it fell off the radio at the cinema. It didn't do anything, even though it was quite critically acclaimed. And I suppose the question for me um, when choosing this film is, this is a critically acclaimed film that didn't do very well at the box office at all and um, has, a, has a kind of non-history. What was wrong with it that prevented it from becoming a success? Because it has critical critical success. Um, it's very highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes. It's very highly rated on Letterboxd. It's very highly rated on IMDb. Um, it was in end of year um, lists as best film of the year. Um, it has a solid cast. Um, who put in good shifts? Why didn't it do very well? I don't know the answer to that, but maybe we'll come on to that a little bit. So that was why I was interested in choosing it. Okay, how interesting. Okay, very good. Uh, where to begin with it? Would you like to kick off then into what, yeah. what your take on it was looking at it now from then? So, uh, I mean, I've, there's, I've got there's quite a lot of things to, to think about it, uh, <laughs> to think about with the film. But I'll, I'll start with I'll start with the the structure of the film, I suppose, to a certain extent. Um, it is a film that is character driven rather than plot driven. And um, I think that um, if if listeners have, have understood anything about how we approach films over the, the, the weekend at Crombie's Canon, it's not to suggest that you don't like plotless films. And it's it's not to suggest that I um, don't like films full of plot. You know, there are greys within that as well. But you, I think you prefer films that have a, a nice, tightly structured plot. Um, and if if the characterization works as well, then, you know, that becomes a classic then, doesn't it? Yeah. I think for me, I like films which are very heavily character driven. And if the plot stands up, that's a classic film, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. you, come from, from different, you can get to the same point, but you've got to come from it from slightly different ends. Yeah. So <clears throat> um, with this, I, I quite liked I quite I remember quite liking the idea in the film that you would have almost two sets of characters two sets of characters that were driving the plot from different ends of the film almost um and what do i mean by that so you have at the start of the film the extreme violence of the drug raid and the murders and at the end of the film you have the extreme violence of the police um and the the raid as it were and the 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 death of um of the criminals as well so you've got it's bookended by two two ex- extremely intense um shootouts i guess really or, or or murders i suppose or killings i guess um which is which 
within the film you 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 shoot off from that first point and the film is propulsive toward the end point if that makes sense so but but getting there there are two completely different films almost the films is the wrong word but there's there's two different plot points two different structures two different viewpoints from which we see the film we yeah. see the road movie yeah. moving inevitably toward the stakeout you see the stakeout inevitably being drawn toward um, the criminals arriving in Star City. And I quite like that tension. Now, within that, that's a plot structure. It doesn't drive the plot, but it's a plot structure. But the characterization of those two cinematic spectrums, I think, uh, is what attracted me to the film then. And I think still attracts me to the film now. On the one side, you've got Billy Bob Thornton, Fantasia and Pluto. And on the other side, you've got predominantly... Um, hurricane you've got dud less so mcfeely i think but i would i would perhaps suggest that it's it's um hurricane's wife actually that has a, a role to play in that as well and you've got the character of what would be the southern gothic of arkansas and star yeah. city in there as well whereas at the front end you've got the the character of the big city the la aspect of it as well so those it's it's a it's an inevitable heading towards a crash of those two events as it were um and i really enjoy films that have that kind of inevitability about them because it ratchets the tension up quite a lot so throughout the film I, I was getting nervous I guess because for me there wasn't many ways that the film could end yeah. that wasn't how I had it played out in my head and I didn't think it would end particularly well if you know what I mean yeah. so I was getting nervous about how the ending would play out because throughout that process even though the even though the Bill Paxton character, Hurricane, and um, the the LA police um, uh, cops who have who have come over, I don't think any of them are particularly sympathetic. I think I think Paxton is the most sympathetic of them, but he still has his racial prejudices. You've warmed to them enough to not want anything to happen, particularly to Bill Paxton. Um, just about um, equally on the other side, you start off. I felt personally being quite unsympathetic to um fantasia particularly when she shot the policeman but then warming at the end understanding the predicament that she might be in in that context and so those two things coming together was both a criminal aspect but also a character aspect as well and i think that worked that's why it attracted me to that film then and it still stands up now in that context um so it's the bifurcated tr structure of the film coupled with the distinctive character development which drives the plot forward i think it's quite unusual yeah. um in that context i would agree with the the two the two threads of the story i think they're totally very different the uh, they are uh, yeah. the, the the journey of the three killers to star city is very very tense at almost all places yeah, partly it because it began so so violently yeah. And it never lets up um, because they don't they don't ever relax. Um, again, the, no, the, the people thought it's, it's constantly snapping yeah. and dangerous. Pluto is and it's very the characters, violent. isn't it? They are dangerous characters. Yeah, they're they're constantly threatening each other with violence as well as yeah. as well as everyone else. And again, they, everything is a potential threat that they respond to with lethal force. Mm. Um, so it is it is, and it's often they're travelling at night. So there's there's no sunshine. Yeah. There's no. Yeah. It's very dark. It's very they're in the, the dark corners in the car and this kind of stuff. It's 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 close. Um, and whereas in Star City in in um, Again, in, in Hurricane's world, it's almost comical. Um, the, again, yeah, the, the two two detectives are like fish out of water. In the, look, you know, they're just in their city clothes, a little bit bemused. Um, there is one point very long where Hurricane basically um, stops a, a drunk getting it, um, crashing yeah. his way through his house because yeah. he's terrorizing wife, um, and he kind of 
wrestles him to the ground and talks him down. Basically, he, he talks sense into him, and Kalamak's coming like, oh, "I'll be here in a couple of days' time, or whatever." Um, but he's he's shown to have a certain level of compassion, um, and he's able to deal with the the small minutiae of the town, and, and he's able to kind of speak their language with it. Um, I tell you what, again, I would disagree with though is in terms of how you relate to the characters. I mm. um, I didn't find any of them sympathetic. Um, okay. Again, the, the, the close again, the closest you came to was right when Fantasia tells her story. Um, yeah. You you can see what, what she's in that particular. But by that point, I felt she was too far gone, both in the actions of the character because she at that point murdered a, a state trooper and been complicit in in other fairly brutal killings. Yes, she yeah. let the child go, but she was around. You know, she did she did. In the very first killing, where the four people in having the party died, they were clearly her friends. You know, they, yeah. they let her in. But yeah. in fact, when one of them goes, "Are you with Rage?" Because no, I'm not with Ray anymore. Um, the guy, actually, the camera zooms in, in a rather strange way, and just says, "Good," um, as in like, "Phew, you're not with that roughneck." Yeah, yeah. Um, so she's she's got a lot of blood on her hands, no she matter does. what what happened yeah. to her at a younger age. Um, but again, you know, Billy Bob Thornton. Again, it's um, we'll come back to him. We'll put up him because he's he was the writer as well. Again, Pluto is. A bit of a cipher again. He's just a very quiet character that is almost psychopathic. But even in Hurricane, we've mentioned before the, the elements of racism, but he's also yeah. quite buffoonish um, in a way that doesn't quite endear you to it in this kind of situation. If it was like you know, if it was like a my cousin Vinny thing where the sheriff's bouncing around and, and being kind of silly, that's fine. Yeah. But you know it's going to end in violence, and you know that he is not equipped to deal with this, and yet he is throwing himself forward to it. So it has that inevitability of he's going to put himself in a situation that is yeah. that he, he can't, can't handle control. It. Yeah, can't and handle who, it. who else is going to die because of this? It turns out Fantasia yeah. died because of it. Um, so I didn't have a lot of sympathy for it. And this is a funny thing. You could t- you could see where the plot was going. And normally, it's not often I make that kind of moral call. Because obviously, if you yeah. see characters who are criminals and, and there's all got sorts of, you know, um, grey areas. I didn't, I wasn't that pulled towards the ending because I didn't really care about the characters. It was it was that kind of like, well, I, I, I don't, you know, Ray, Ray Pluto, Fantasia Dixon, I, I don't care if they all kill each other. Like, even at the end, when it's ambiguous what happens to, to, to Dixon, yeah. normally I'd be like, I'd be in my head thinking, did he live? Did he die? I think he, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't care. Um, maybe he did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so it was it was a strange way. Of, again, mm. which is interesting because again, Bill Paxton, I felt you're right, did put in a very good performance. He is mm. he's he is portraying what he's been asked to portray. I think, yeah, he is, and he is definitely. a he, he is a very strong presence in the film. I think actually, um, and one of the issues with not responding as much to to Lila was that I don't think the actress Cinder Williams was as good in her portrayal. Of oh, interesting. It. And I guess I mean there is that scene when when. Um, she and Dixon are having their shootout. I know she's she's obviously meant to be more twitchy and more, you know, she hasn't got it all together. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't know how much of that was the actress not commanding the screen as much as Bill Paxton does, or just, you know, a choice by Lila, the actress, to to, 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 do, to play yeah, like that. Yeah. To play like yeah. that. It, it, and if that's not clear, then that's an issue because yeah, I yeah. couldn't quite tell it. Um, so that was an issue with in terms of how it how it all strung together. I can see what you're saying there. How it, it does it does go towards its destination, and you have two different threads to it. I wasn't being pulled by those threads. Or yeah. I was kind of just watching it happen. And I think it's another thing is um, uh, the movie was originally called Hurricane. I think that's why it was, oh, um, was it? which which uh. is interesting because that that almost gives it a, a thing to hang on um, rather than one false move, yeah. which is a, a movie of the week title to give. It is a because that of interesting. Yeah. What was the one false move? They they it's. There wasn't. Yes, I know what you mean. There wasn't a one false move, and actually, that's quite interesting. You say that though, because um, I was looking at the poster of the film as well, and there's I don't know if you you know if you get a picture of the poster up. There is there is a seat. It's described as that you've got um, you've got Fantasia 
uh, in the background looking looking around. Then you've got the title one false move with the words one false move on top of each other. And below that, you've got a scene which looks like two people shooting a state trooper. Okay. But that doesn't happen in the film. <laughs> it, it doesn't happen like that in the film. Yeah. In the film, the state trooper doesn't know he's being shot. He's being shot by uh, Fantasia from the background. Uh, in here, it looks like Billy Bob Thornton is it's a shootout. It isn't a shootout yeah. at all. Now, yeah. I don't know why that's the case, but it does suggest that there's something similar there about the one false move thing. What is the one false move? I mean, I'm not, I don't mind too much about the fact that the film is called one false move and it doesn't yeah. necessarily have a false move in it per se um <laughs> you know it doesn't matter too much i'm not sure that hurricane is necessarily a better name for the no. film either because i find it um, interesting though because that that would imply that they thought the movie was about hurricane bill paxton was the biggest mm. star um and if again and ostensibly the hero well not the hero sitting from things he's done but the the yeah. focal character but then was he it didn't again i mentioned um in the wrap-up deliberately that they'd put him in very early on in the, yeah, they the, have, the yeah, film yeah. for no reason at all he's yeah. I mean, he, he's child is a nightmare he gives her a cuddle um yeah. and but they, they maybe they put him in to cement the fact that hurricane is an important character in this movie um, well i i think and i uh, the, at that particular scene when i was watching it i was i didn't understand why in the middle of a um quite a violent setup scene it would cut away to Bill Paxton's hurricane in Arkansas, who we don't know, yeah. to wake up uh, to 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 comfort a crying child. Uh, so I was thinking, well, that's a bit of an odd decision. It's only until later in the film, I think, that you look back. Well, that I looked back retrospectively and, and and could see why that might have been done. Because at the point at which Bill Paxton's hurricane is um, brought onto the screen to comfort the child, it the cutaway from that was the child in the drug dealer's house crying about yes. being scared because he thinks that he's going to be killed and his mum and dad he, aren't, aren't there yeah. anymore. And it's for me, it's reflective of the fact that, that the Hurricane character has obviously cares very deeply for for his daughter. Or I can't remember, it's a daughter or son, daughter, I can't remember, yeah, yeah. daughter. But we find out later has actually abandoned a child in the same way. So almost... The abandonment is highlighted as a consequence there. So for me, the issue there is it's highlighting again that that Hurricane's character is flawed. He's not perhaps the most sympathetic character, even though he is in the tropes of a crime thriller. He's the major character in the film. And so therefore you should feel sympathy for him. I think it's fair to say that in a noir film, there aren't characters that or there are rarely characters that you feel for. No, well, they're um, all flawed. Well, that's the thing. Yes, you're entirely right. Um, but you root for is not quite the right way, but you want to see them through again. The, the good thing about noir characters, you have yeah, very morally compromised characters, but yeah. they're normally good at what they do. Well, they, they're certainly good enough to drive the plot forward. And, and then here's mm. my problem again, was that the killers were very poor killers. I mean, um, Ray mm. <laughs> leaves his card, leaves his driver's license on the crime scene. So they're always on the run from the go. Even uh, Pluto, though he has a lovely pair of glasses, um, is you know, <laughs> he's he's impulsive as well in terms of killing. And yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't, he sometimes makes smart decisions, sometimes makes very foolish decisions. Um, so it's, it's they kind of, they kind of manage to get to start to by the skin of their teeth anyway. Uh, and again, so, and this is the thing, the, the only what you call competent characters are the detectives from L.A., really. Mm-hmm. They're the one, but and would you, then you'd think, well, do I follow these characters? But they're quite peripheral. They, they mm. You'd think they'd be in charge <coughs> and they'd be handling it. But it's much, it's, again, it's, it's Dixon Hurricane who is 
doing most of the stuff in Star City as well. So it's it's quite disjointed in that. And I know that's kind of the noir way of having many characters move around each other. But it was a case of who is who's pulling me towards this 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 ending? Who's yeah, who's who am I following? Yeah. I think I, I think we I think we we are going to have to disagree on this a little bit because <laughs> uh, and I don't I don't know whether this means that I think the film's a better film or not, but I think that the um the characters in the film I, I think i said that i don't think any of them are, are particularly sympathetic although yeah. i found myself um having more sympathy for um hurricane for example yeah um as the film went on even though i could recognize him to be a very flawed character and actually at the point at which it is revealed that he is the father of fantasia's child um he doesn't cover himself in glory either then i mean it's quite a hard thing to take i would presume at that point but it Clearly, we are we are shown or we are told via um, Fantasia's kind of POV that he took advantage of her, at, at least just took advantage of her. And then yes. um, kind of just, I wouldn't say left her, but just that was it. That was the end of that. And so therefore she was used in that context. And he, he I think up until the very end of the film, I think you get a situation where he's not willing to accept his decision he's not willing to accept his actions in that context as well i'm not sure i see i read the very final scene of the film where where um where uh his child comes up to him and says you know where's where's the lady obviously he doesn't know that it's his mum i suppose yeah, yeah. says where's the ladies over there oh no no come over here come over here i think that might be some sort of reconciliation from his point of view but equally he might have died <laughs> in which case <laughs> that's the end of that but i'm not sure that he deserves that reconciliation or more to the point i'm not sure that his wife and child deserve to be um kind of ripped apart like that i suppose to a certain extent but he has a responsibility there i quite like that i quite like that ambiguity and characterization it comes through with the um the la police chiefs as well when they are um just effectively ridiculing him ridiculing hurricane without her without them knowing that hurricane's listening to them and it tells you a little bit about the fact that they have presented themselves as comrades i suppose they are they have a camaraderie but really they don't respect him at all yeah um in the same way that um, her trouble respecting cop in that context as well. So, you know, there's a lot going on there, which I think is quite interesting. Um, it For me, it flips quite a lot the expectations that I have on films like this sometimes. Um, so you mentioned um, the uh, um, Hurricane's wife, um, Sher- is it Sherry Ann? Cheryl Ann? Cheryl Ann. Yeah, Cheryl Ann. Um, Cheryl Ann. Um, and she's at she's the she's in the know isn't she and that's the thing i think in a film like this you wouldn't expect her to be in the know you'd expect hurricane to be in the know but she's in the know she understands that hurricane is a bit of a bumpkin and is totally in awe of the cops i don't think you'd expect that in in a film like this i think you um the the way that the racial tensions are examined are quite interesting they're not front and center necessarily but they are there in in the background and i think it's it says something about the confidence of the film that it doesn't become about those those racial prejudices but they are imbued in the fabric of the conversation that might take place in that particular part of america in that context as well um yeah, I'd give the film quite a lot of credit for, again, being of the time it is, which is that made in 92, and, yeah. and taking these things on. I, I think what lets it down a bit for me is um, 
the the intent there and the, the, the issues they're highlighting in there, I feel the dialogue is extremely flat in this film. <clears throat> and I think it's really the, I think it's <laughs> I think it's one of the weakest points in it. Which I mentioned again Billy Bob Thornton, who again has, has later won uh, Academy Awards for his screenwriting. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And and this this game felt to me like you know was like Goodwill Hunting, where you you write he because he was just breaking in as an actor, so you kind of wrote himself a, pl- a part to get you know, to get into yeah. get noticed and this kind of stuff. Um, and I was just I when they were talking, it just felt incredibly clunky. They there was almost no nuance to how people were talking. They were just saying the, the next thing that would get them along in the plot. Um, and you would do. There were some moments you mentioned the conversation with um, with Lila and and Dixon later on, and that that had yeah. some good points in it. But for the most part, I, it, it felt like it was a tin ear. I really did not connect with the dialogue at all. Oh wow! So that's I mean that's interesting because I thought the I thought the script was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Are we absolutely sure we still write the same movie? Well, yeah, maybe we didn't. So I, I thought, that, well, Fantastic is probably too strong. That, that's hyperbole based on the fact that yeah. it didn't stick with you, I think. But, um, you know, it, we, it's, we're not talking about social network levels of fanta- fantastic <laughs> script. We're not talking about um, a Shane Black script in that context. But I thought I thought it was tight. I quite liked the fact that it, it wasn't, it didn't have a lot of chaff to it in, in many ways. And again... I think that's a trope of noir films that the scripts in noir films are almost, I think they're stripped back quite a lot to the core components of the, of the interplay of the dialogue between characters. And I don't always find that noir films have realistic dialogue or realistic sets as that content. And I think this does that. This isn't, I don't think it's a realistic script. No, not realistic, but I mean, there's some noir films, the dialogue just sings. I mean, The Last Seduction is one that has really good dialogue in it. Um, I think, well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Philip Marlowe ones, they're kind of famous for their stylized dialogue. Um, and They are. It really sings well. So uh, here, I felt it wasn't that it was stylized or unrealistic. It just felt very flat to me. It's like I, there, was, there was nothing particularly memorable in how characters were saying things. They were just saying things to get to the next bit of the plot for the most part. Again, there were some character moments. Again, the um, Cheryl Ann is, is a very good example of, of when it came, came food but these these were peaks in the in the story that that were fair, few and far between and i noticed them because of that i thought oh that that's a nice like because again it was the the conversation with Lan and, and detective dud um was was good because it it <laughs> there was a there was a subtext the things were being said without being said and actually that i really appreciated and you could you could connect into that a lot of the time it was more like i am going to shoot this person okay then i will shoot him too okay then i will stab him too and it was very interesting yeah so i i picked out um so i mentioned at the start that um the film comes very highly praised in terms of kind of critical critical praise as well so i was looking at what roger ebert and is it so in terms of this is what he said about the script right this is what he says about the script it's rarer to find it it's rare to find a story that subtly insidiously gets us involved much more deeply than at first we realize until at the end we're torn by what happens and by what has to happen so he thinks so it's, it's interesting that what he's what he's saying about the script and i've seen this written in quite a few other areas as well the, the the script is what gives the film the pizzazz um <laughs> which is now i again i'm not sure that i agree with that completely but because I, I don't think the script is i don't think the script is for the ages i just think it's tight i just think it's a tightly woven script which which for me it helped me connect to the the two sets of characters the two the two scenes that were going on the drive towards star city and the events at star city in that context and the interplay between I think um, a tragic figure like Fantasia 
and uh, despicable figures like um, Pluto and Ray, um, and flawed figures like Hurricane, and to a lesser extent the police chiefs as well. So I think it did it did that well to get that interplay together. Um, whether it's perfect or not, you know, it isn't. I, I, I think I think there's hyperbole here in in Roger Ebert's description. But I think for me the script was the driving force behind that characterization, because I think the film is a is it's a character it's it's a film that uses character to drive decision making. And I quite I, I thought it did it really well. I was drawn into the characters, admittedly. I don't think any of them are particularly sympathetic, but I was drawn enough into them to want to know what happened to them. I didn't mind. Actually, it's a fair point, Hugh, because you, you say you didn't really care if any of them died or not. I think I, I did care if Hurricane died, um, but I think that might be because it's Bill Paxton, and I quite like Bill Paxton more than <laughs> anything else. But equally, I didn't mind if anyone else died, but that's okay. I, I for me, if the film needed that, then the film needed that. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Now, I don't know whether whether Hurricane did die or not. If he had, fair dues. And no one else needed to survive that film, to be honest. <laughs> it's not about that. It wasn't about that. For me, it was about the, the 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 movement of the characters toward that inevitable outcome. And that, for me, what worked quite well in that context. Interesting stuff. Uh, so again, how did you think? Again, we spoke about Bill Paxton. I think again, the final word um, for myself is just that. Yeah, he is very good in that role. He um, he's he's i think he's getting he's best as a, as a supporting character actor the kind of his most yeah. memorable roles is when he really nails it like that i mean private hudson is, is kind of um the first thing that's yeah definitely to mind. but yeah. i think he's he's good enough to carry a film again he's he's done things yeah, again, he like is. twister um thinking this there's other things as well he's and he's got a good record behind him and yeah, I think he, he does was, he was a, so, he was a he's a solid actor to watch again he does come on the screen so i think that um bill paxton is a bit of an underrated um leading man in in some respects he's he's um he doesn't have many leading man roles i don't know whether you could describe this as a leading man role necessarily um uh, certainly an ensemble piece but he plays perhaps the the main he's top main, i think he's he's top building this as well. but yeah but um i don't know if you've seen a film called frailty um from which he he plays the the main the main character there as well it's uh it's kind of like a thriller stroke horror film it is he is absolutely brilliant in it. And, um, it, it, you know, it, it's one of the first films I saw where he was the main character and pretty much is on screen all the time. It's a very, very good film, psychological horror film. Um, it's also got Matthew McConaughey in it um, and, and Powers Booth as well. It's from the early 2000s. It's really good. Uh, certainly kind of recommend that. But um, I, th I think there's potential uh, what, what Bill Paxton suffers from perhaps a little bit or suffered from a little bit was I think he was typecast to a certain extent as the kind of not the bumbling psychic but the overexcited exuberant um yeah. slightly slightly idiotic um kind of person in in the film which i think is unfair i think he's got some acting chops about him trespass is another example of that yeah, um, yeah. you know obviously that we saw and um he plays a similar role in that almost kind of like unconvincing in his you know in his role he, he he's he's there doing something but he's unconvincing in it if yeah. that makes sense. I don't mean his acting, but his, his character is unconvincing. Yes, he, yeah. he doesn't quite know what he's doing. He, he nails that kind of idiocy really well. <laughs> he <laughs> nails it really well. Um, so I think, I think he's, I think he's a, an excellent actor. And um, yeah, he's, 
well, he's not one of my favourites, but um, he's always he's, good to watch on screen. You're really, you're really disappointed when he's, he's there. Unf- yeah, absolutely. I think he deserves a bit more praise. Now for the others, I've not heard of Cinder Williams before. I actually thought she was fantastic in the role. Um, yeah. I quite like that. Um, I quite like that uneasy, sca- scatological kind of um, co- combination of but combination with like a laid back threat there as well. She's clearly a tragic and um, I can't think what the word is, but um, things have happened to her that have not been good uh, and they are affecting her. Now that doesn't mean to say that I am sympathetic towards her per se, but um, I thought that she played that well um, in, in that context, particularly in the way that she moved from being um, kind of, drawn to billy bob thornton's character but also at the same time scared of him um i thought that was quite good uh the way that that was done and i, I think i think i thought billy bob thornton was good as well i mean i've got i've got no complaints about the, the characterization i think pluto's character is m- more comically um violent <laughs> if that makes sense i think i think billy bob thornton's character is more scary because he's yeah. unhinged whereas pluto i think is it's not real if that makes sense it doesn't yeah. That wouldn't that person wouldn't exist. Certainly wouldn't be friends with Ray. I see. Funny because I again I like Billy Bob Thornton as an actor, but I I think he does best playing larger than life roles. And I did not that Ray was a shrinking violet. But mm. even when um, I don't know again, he's, he's obviously done very well playing both serious roles and kind of either comic ones or ones where he's you know bigger than the, bigger than normal i think this one i wasn't quite sold by it again i thought he was still in his career and i thought it's um i don't know it, it felt like a performance of a of a you know a thug rather than yeah yeah. something that felt genuinely menacing or scary oh, that's to. interesting yeah so i wasn't it was interesting when i said yeah he wrote it and, and whatever i thought you know he, these are the words he's put in his own character's mouth and this kind of stuff how much of it was was clearly a lot of it was his choice you'd assume but um yeah he, he wasn't selling it for me as, as ray and again this is the other thing is if I, I wasn't if if you know what what they do you know the film ratchets up immediately you go from naught to 60 in violent scales right away and i think if you you're do. not if you're not bought into the 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 killers in terms of okay well i'm appalled but i'm kind of want to see their story yeah and i think you struggled for maybe that was where i came at it thing you know i'm not, i i didn't like i didn't like what i just saw and i'm really not into the people i've just seen doing it so yeah <laughs> and you've got to spend at least half of your film with them yeah. and the other half of the film if that is the case you want you want to be populated with characters that you really do feel for and yes, if you're yes. also in that other half of the film not connecting to those characters you've got what is quite an empty experience as a consequence and actually perhaps more than that quite a re- you're you're repulsed by it to a certain extent <laughs> aren't you because because the argument is why am i follow why do i care about the any of these characters they are hideous characters i don't want to spend my time with them yeah yeah it's a good point on it whereas i i love a i love a a bit of ultra violence at the start of the film and then following really despicable characters throughout 90 minutes of runtime. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was just going to mention it was um, so it's got a very it's got a very early 90s late 80s feel to it I think this film just like the the, the soundtrack in it is very um, it's very of its time that, that was going to be my last point as well the, the musical score. yeah um, it, I mean very 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 pared back um I, I wasn't so keen on it actually it, it felt very um it, i don't know it, it felt very amateur dramatics uh in yeah, in, yeah. in a, or very very tip almost stereotypically what you might expect from from a, a, a southern noir as it were um so it, it, that kind of pulled me out of it a little bit 
Um, so that was a bit disappointing. Um, yeah, the, the music for me was it. Uh, it felt like the kind of music you'd see in a straight-to-video um, yeah. movie about <laughs> and this kind of stuff. It also was used in some very strange things, like when um, when very early on after the, the murders are taking place and the police are gathering around the house, um, the coroner's car pulls up and the coroner gets out. It's just a scene-setting thing, but the music is played like this. Coroner is a big deal and quite comic too. It's like it's, it was like it's strange, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's like so. I guess that it's like oh, is he just the coroner then? Because um, I was thinking, is Bill Paxton the coroner? Was he was the you know was, yeah. was, is that what we saw him earlier on? But no, it's just a regular guy with a hell of a musical intro. Um, and so I don't think it's, the music is used well. I think I've, suddenly you notice films where music is used well because mm. that that adds to it without you noticing and here when it was wrong it was like that's that's dropping a spanner for me um and I th- I th- again with the they were mentioned the southern gothic they were very keen on again using the diegetic music of a guy playing his harmonica yeah, as, as as the scene yeah. setter for the big tense finale at the end um which firstly i think they were a bit too bought into this concept because you kept flashing back between here's the car there's another car he's yeah. waiting la 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 so every, yeah. all the everything and then they get cut back to this guy playing harmonica yeah. getting more and more intense close ups um which again felt like overrating the pudding but also it's obviously you can get you know a southern gothic feel from the the harmonica and that kind of music and the the, the jaw harp and this kind of stuff but the harmonica's not i think an inherently tenseful sound <laughs> It's a comic one. If you think of harmonica, the first thing I think of is trains, planes, and automobiles. Yeah. Whenever something bad happens, you hear this wow, wow, wow. And that's what I can think of is like, you know, if, if you're playing like strings or, yeah. or something like that, yeah. that's tense. And that gets you. And he was like, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not feeling the tension. In <laughs> All I'm getting is this harmonica mis- music. Yeah, yeah, it's slightly misaligned, isn't it? The music I found is very off kilter in it, and the choices of that there are as well. So yeah. again, that was that was um, again. How many? How what? What pedigree the director had? It, it felt, it felt very much like that. Let's let's put a film together and get our names up and get our names out there, um, rather than a. I don't know we've we've crafted this piece of work. We, we want it. You know, this this is yeah. our this this will be, this will be uh, our opus. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, very interesting. I, I mean, I have a. I think I come I come at it from a from an almost diametrically opposed view i don't think i don't think this is quite um dancing in the dark levels of disparity um or uh, you know disparate views but i i I certainly i don't know this the film i i'm just trying to think in my head everything you've said i can understand it I, i can see your point of view i can see your point of view i can't what i can't understand though is why the film really wasn't it doesn't. I'm not even talking about it being successful, but yeah. I mean, this level of ambigu- um, this level of obscurity for a film is odd, um, because there isn't for me personally there isn't anything you know morally reprehensible in the film other than telling yeah. a story about morally reprehensible people. Um, it it is in my mind it's well acted. It's got a good script. Um, it has a story that's interesting. It's maybe the one thing about it which pulls it pulls it down a bit for me is it, it's not. It's not the most interesting film, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like it, it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't have that incredible structure, or there's no set pieces in it, or there's nothing that really makes you draw in. But that's okay. It's just good for me. It's good characterization. I think good, good, good storytelling. Yeah. There's nothing. Ex- there's nothing explosive in it. You know, it's one of the last um, kind of thrillers. It's a pre-pulp fiction thriller, isn't it? From the early nineties. That's true. It doesn't Maybe really it was- have much gimmick to it. 
Maybe it's just the end of its time. Yeah, it, um, because people, yeah. If, if Pulp Fiction took off, which again it clearly did, and, and even Reservoir Dogs, people maybe yeah. just had enough of this type of movie. It was, it was because yeah, I, I was thinking again, similar movies. You know, what's a movie that is someone's debut where it's fairly low budget, that's a neo noir, and they're pushing it out there? And I thought it's Blood Simple. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So firstly, is it, this yeah. movie anywhere as good as Blood Simple? I'd no, say it isn't. isn't. Nowhere no. near. I love Blood Simple, yeah. um, which is uh, funny. Well. Has a lot, has a lot of the similar concept in it. It's a neo noir with good character actors and a simple plot told yeah. in a stylistic way yeah. um, but that was made in 1984 this movie yeah. is eight years behind the curve so maybe fashions just moved on and maybe fashions we, did yeah. and we'd had an effort again even things like the hot spot and um, and um, keep forgetting the name The Last Temptation were were and they were the last seduction, last seduction, yeah. No, that's something different. The last seduction of Christ, <laughs> last seduction. When, when was the last, the last seduction? Then that, that feels like it was that a, was 92, I think. 92, okay, so, yeah. but again, didn't have a it was it was critically acclaimed, but again, I think it was massively successful. Um, so it may be that again, and the, the look of it to me felt like it's the kind of it, there were a lot of these movies about that were straight to video or straight to TV. If, if it doesn't have yeah, that yeah. standout quality, and then I guess you have something like. Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction comes along and it's like nothing's ever seen before and everyone gets wild about it so maybe it was just it was the last of the dinosaurs of that that genre of that time yeah and maybe it was maybe it was at the very bottom of that arc it was at the very low point of that arc where yeah people just needed to move on I mean that's that's maybe it and sometimes um sometimes a film doesn't it doesn't have that luck I suppose in, in some respects um as I say, I know that you know I clearly enjoyed it a lot more than you, but I think I think I think this film deserves more attention. It's it's really not, I just, yeah. It's, given the critical acclaim that's been ascribed to it as well, um, which you know I think is also slightly over the top as well. Um, you know the fact that it's it's Gene was Gene Siskel's best film of 1992. I find slightly absurd because what else was he watching <laughs> what else was he watching in 1992 that this was the best film now i like the film but you know it wouldn't be in my top 10 films of 1992 probably um but then i, I i'm a sucker for these kind of low level non-special effects rather boring crime thrillers right that that yeah. just seem to that just seem to have a populated by interesting actors and characters i quite like that right not, you know it doesn't have to be pulp fiction to me although okay. pulp fiction is better than this old <laughs> <laughs> choice <laughs> yeah the last seduction was made in 1994 i should add not 1992 okay. so i think that probably would have been the very end but but the, the last seduction is a slightly different film i think the, the last seduction is more stylish yeah it's a little bit more knowingly neo-noir perhaps i don't think one false move sets out to be a bit it doesn't set out to to pastiche it does it whereas the lost seduction i think does yes yeah it's that, knowing it's more it, knowing. It, it, yeah it had gone past the the style of it and become almost a reflection of it <coughs> yeah the genres do yeah. okay so speaking of which then what other films again we've, we've mentioned i think most of the ones i'd think of in terms of what you've been blood simple i guess is when we've talked yeah, about yeah. other neo-noirs again last seduction the hot spot um what are the, what, what would you recommend to watch for this so there's two films neither are neo-noirs but um they, they do have some links to this one one of them is um i mentioned it at the start it's um sam Raimi directed film called a simple plan which has billy bob thornton and bill paxton in it okay about uh um there's a plane crash i think and they find um a load of it's a bit like cliffhanger actually they find a load of money <laughs> but then um the, the the film is actually about are they able to cope as a as a um a, a group of people who 
steal the money are they able to cope with the knowledge that they've stolen the money what does it mean mm, you know cool. and all this kind of stuff so the guilt ratchets up and that kind of stuff so that's quite interesting it's good because it's got those two same actors in it and they're, they're both very good in that the other one i would recommend it's not a neo-noir but i would call it like an urban uh, a southern gothic film it's got it's soaked in that kind of um southern gothic feel to it and it's called lone star okay. um so it's a john sales film starring matthew mcconaughey actually i think it was in one of his first roles made in 1995 also got um chris cooper in and elizabeth pina in it so um basically mcconaughey plays a sheriff uh in the lone star state obviously set in texas um and uh, they find a uh, uh, the skeleton of uh, uh, his his predecessor as it were the previous sheriff and it's a story about it's it's a procedural but it's 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 bifurcated as well because it's it the viewpoint is from different time frames and stuff like that so it's really good really clever film really interesting and it, it kind of it has the same kind of vibe to um uh one false move as well that's Excellent. worth watching definitely very good right then so that, uh, having now thoroughly digested this uh we now go to the fun part of the evening uh the scores which uh, don't want to cause any drama but we may not have the same <laughs> score on this one <laughs> and we will learn what we'll be watching for the 12th and final film of this season oh my days welcome back listener as we finish up the slices of ironic birthday cake <laughs> this film and we shall learn uh what scores five floating crumbie heads out of five we give to this film uh james you'd like to kick us off what score do you give one false move um what so for me one false move is um another example of why weekend at crumbie should exist um one false move is a film that has fallen into such levels of obscurity that um even for hugh morgan it cannot escape the vortex of um it, it being uh, <laughs> underwhelming but uh, nevertheless i am quite um i'm quite partial to one false move in its in its rather old-fashioned uh and uh simple and but yet quite propulsive movement of the story towards an inevitable ending with characters who aren't necessarily sympathetic in the noir tradition but that um whose solid acting and script lead me to be um interested right to the end so that was a bit of a mouthful but effectively what am i going to give this i'm going to give one false move in all consciousness, I think I have to give it three disembodied Crombie heads. Three disembodied Crombie heads for one false move. In all consciousness. Okay, I'm glad you stayed awake for that. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, the only reason I, I was, I was probably on a four, yeah. but <laughs> hearing you describe it, I'm not sure it is. Okay. And I, I, I can see where you're coming from in it. So I think it's a three for me. Okay, fair enough. For myself, um, I again, the, the score doesn't, imply that i found it reprehensible in any way yeah. or, or unpleasant in that sense but i i think it had some strong characters some strong actors in it and i think the uh, the the hints of the kind of the politics in it were interesting again bear in mind this is a, a again a, a podcast series has previously included bamboozled so it's got strong true. competition for, yeah. for for societal overtones yeah that's there. true <laughs> but um 
But to be honest, I I did not and could not connect with the characters. The dialogue did not speak to me um, in any sense of the word, and I was just not engaged with the film, and I wouldn't want to revisit it. And I think for that, it's just going to be a one for me. Whoa, crikey! One, one. Well, we haven't disagreed for a long time. So this is good. It uh, yeah, shows it we good. still can. It shows we still can. We're not. We're not. We are. We are not symbiotically one individual. We are still two. <laughs> well, let's consign one false move to the scrap heap of Weekend at Crombies. Okay. We'll never consider it again. A combined score of four. Uh, as if you can do maths. <laughs> That's right, isn't it? Three and one is four. Yeah, we yeah. got there. We got there. Very good. Well then, you know, let's put that debacle behind us. Yes. Of more interesting. Uh, of more interesting. More interesting. Of more interest is the December film and it's huge choice uh, and I'm very excited because it's a December film and it's huge choice so Indeed. come on so you. It's a festive choice for December oh, we, will be, we will be watching Dirty Pretty Things oh okay very good <laughs> very good okay we'll say no more we're watching we'll Dirty no Pretty more. Things Oh, I thought I was. I was really hoping the second word wasn't dancing. <laughs> scandals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd have loved to do dirty world scandals. Oh, yeah, that's true. Dirty pretty things, right? Dirty I look forward to things. it. Indeed. So yeah, that is it. And until then, uh, we wish you all a very happy and a very healthy weekend at Crombies. Good evening, all. Weekend at what scientists discover that the most nutritious meal you can have is a bread sandwich. I'll, I'll read that. Bread thinking. sandwich. <laughs> a bread sandwich. Two slices of bread with bread, with bread in, in it. Yeah, exactly. Bread yeah. sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's eating three slices of bread. Yeah. But then what they, so I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. And then I read the article and it said, um, obviously you need to get your, one of your five a day in here as well. <laughs> So I was thinking, well, that's not a bread sandwich, then, is it? That's like, that's a meal. <laughs> that's like, that's like you might have some bread to soak the gravy up afterwards. Hang on, how is it? How is gravy one of your five a day? No, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it's just getting more northern now. <laughs> it's not five that. portions of gravy a day. And I'm it's set up for the week. <laughs> <laughs>